Welcome everyone to the Property Finance Podcast. I'm joined by today, Mr. Rob Moore. Um, so Rob, for people who don't know you listening to my podcast, which is going to be very few, but if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick intro of who you are and what you do for the benefits of the podcast, obviously everyone on the live knows who you are. Sure. Okay, so uh, I'm a property investor. Yep. I run the UK's largest property training company, Progressive Property. Um, I have a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Uh, we also do business training as well as property training. Um, I have a letting agency with my business partner, has about 850 units under management. Um, I was actually an artist and then a pub landlord, sort of struggled in my early years of business. Thanks, Felicity. I got into property probably, what, 13 years ago? Uh, and um, we're sat in our studios, we have about 85 staff. Became a millionaire between the age of 30 and 31, which pissed me off because I wanted to do it by 30. I did it uh, when I was 30. Um, I spend um, a, a family man, you know, I like to um, spend a lot of time with my kids, especially um, golf, play golf with my kids. They're both into golf. Bobby's played in British and World Championships and stuff like that, which has been fun. And yeah, I mean, look, can I stop talking about me now? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making me there's, feel uncomfortable. There's a, there's a hell of a lot to talk about. So I've written 15 books. You had to get that in. Yeah. You? Yeah, had to get the books in. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know who are watching the lives and listening to the podcast, um, I am mentored personally by you uh, for the last year, actually, which is why we've had our record year. Um, well done. Because mentors Cheers. obviously are very, very important. Yeah. Um, but one of the big things, that, and obviously with this being the Property Finance Podcast, obviously we want to talk about all things property and all things finance. So from a finance perspective, obviously you don't deal necessarily with the debt. That falls more onto... Mark, your business partner. Yeah, well, um, I, I share in the debt. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I do. But, yeah, but he um, is fully responsible for getting you into that debt. Yeah. Um, good debt. But for, definitely good debt. So from a raising private finance point of view, obviously you are, I would say, with a certain degree of certainty, that you are the face, really, of Progressive. Um, so from a raising finance point of view, how have you dealt with that branding in order to get yourself to be seen on that pedestal as the man of progressive to raise these millions to then go into your property deals and JVs and all that sort of thing? Sure, so there was never really anything intentional. Um, I think it was, uh, first off, it was circumstantial. So in 2005, um, right at the end of the year, I went to a property networking event for the first time ever as an artist. So I was yep. very uncomfortable. The reason I went was because a gallery owner had been saying, who was hanging my art, had said to me, you should go into, you should get into property. It's a good time because in 2005, it was quite near the peak of the market. Yep. Every, you know, every man and their dog was getting into property. Anyone could get a mortgage, even a skin artist like me. And so everyone was telling me, my dad, the gallery owner, and I was like, I don't have any money. I don't have any experience. I'm an artist. I don't like all these rich, commercial, you know, capitalist bastards. So I was very much like, listen to Rage Against the Machine. I was a, as, as a bit anti all that but that was just my own defensiveness and fears of rejection um, and I, I finally went to this property networking event because something really like hard happened in our family and it just pushed me to, to be a bit more committed and that very first networking event I met Mark and I didn't look at Mark and go you're a wealthy business owner and property investor I'm going to joint venture with you and you know I'm going to um, use your money and your mum's money and your family's money I just got on with, well with him and what he saw in me was ethic and effort and work rate and the speed of learning and getting obsessively deep into certain things like property and business and personal development. 
And within three months, we did our first property deal together where he put in all the money, but we bought it cash. He bought it cash. He got first charge, so he was protected. He, yep. he made sure he protected his own money. I didn't even really understand back then. It totally makes sense. Yep. But the point is, I think some people want a bit much in a JV. Yep. Um, and I believe if I want to do a JV with you, if you're happy, it's going to be better. Yep. Um, so it's, it's got to be equitable. And it was equitable because I was only getting upside benefit. He put the cash in, first charge, normal. He sorted out all the legals, didn't really know any of that. Um, and then we did, a, we, we did about 20 that first year. Um, and we borrowed his money. And then when he ran out of cash, we did some mortgages, you know, back in the yep. day when you didn't really have to put money in. Uh, and then we borrowed his mum's money, his stepdad's money, then my mum's money, then my nan's money. Um, and then we went out to sort of, you, you know, private investors who weren't yep. family. But we must have got up to sort of nearly 50 deals wow. just with Mark's finance. And, and, and family money. Maybe family money is something we should discuss, whether you should do family money or shouldn't, because I, kind of, I can see both sides of the fence. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what I probably got quite good at is providing value and showing people value that was non-monetary. Yep. And I now teach people in a joint venture that you don't want two people with the monetary value because you don't want two people who do the same thing in any JV. Yeah. And in progressive and our property communities... If one person brings the money, that's their value. And another person brings the work ethic, the deal, the analysis, the management, etc. And that's equitable. Yeah. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, I'm putting the money in, but I want you to put some money in as well to have skin in the game. But then that's not equitable because you're supposed to be doing the money. Yep. Um, Now, I understand why some people want to do that because they want commitment. Um, So, I know it's a long way around your answer. No, no, no. But it was important to... Because I, I, I never meant to brand myself as someone who was good at doing JVs and raising money. I just, what I was good at was showing the value I could bring that was non-monetary. Yep. Whether that is work ethic, whether that is being uh, trustworthy, because Mark and I trust each other implicitly. Um, whether that is learning fast, um, you know, whether that is taking slack in other areas that your partner doesn't want to yep. take the slack in. Taking some of the management, the maintenance, etc., um, and now I suppose over the years, because I mean, Mark and I have done tens of millions of pounds worth of joint ventures. I mean, in the, the last few deals, we just put our own money in because the downside of doing joint ventures is more technical than just lobbing your own money yeah. in. Um, and if, we've, if you've got your own mon- money, because here's the thing, if you, people say, oh, where should I put my money? Well, I often think property is a great investment. Yep. Not the only one, but a great one. So if you made a load of money in property, well, where are you going to put it? Oh, back into property. So you kind of got to the point now few years ago where we also put our own money in sometimes just buy stuff cash last two deals one one's 85,000 square foot another one is 35,000 square foot just bought them cash um so where can you provide value that the financier can't um how can you have belief and confidence in the value that you bring that the financier can see um i suppose in some ways because people sometimes say to me oh rob it was easier back then well it was different back then yeah what was easier was it was easier to get a mortgage um, you know, like an, an virtually 100% mortgage. Yeah. Um, that, that was easier back then. Um, but now joint ventures are more common and now rates are on your side. Because yep. if, if rates are 6%, people can get a return in the bank. Yeah. Right now, rates are so low, actually more people want to do joint ventures and more people need people like you who hasn't got the money but you've got the deal because they can't get any good money in the bank. So it's just different. So just coming back to where you mentioned about family, because I think it's important to touch on that, because a lot of the people both listening to this and watching live at the minute in the Progressive Group um, will have family that have cash, but they haven't got the confidence to go to a family member to ask for the money. 
and it falls yeah. back on. I, I get where you're coming from. You've you've got to show the value, but it's also that awkward thing of there's more risk if it goes wrong potentially. Yeah. It, well, it, it depends opens. on how you define risk. Yeah, I suppose from that perspective, the, the a risk family member probably won't make you bankrupt. A lender no. might. Uh, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so come after I think the thing that's important to say here is private finance or bank finance or family finance, none of it is better or worse. It no. is different. Yeah. And so some people say, never borrow from your family. Why do they say that? Because blood is thicker than water and you could damage your family relationship. But at the same time, I'll throw that on its head. Mm. If you borrow from your family and things get hard, A, you're probably going to hustle more yeah, to, get to, get, to get it fixed. Yeah. And B, they might be a bit more forgiving than a bank with a charge. Oh, most definitely. Um, so obviously private finance, i.e. non-bank finance, the upside of that is you're not dealing with, with a bank because there's downsides to that. And yep. there's upsides to that, by the way. Um, but also there's not the family emotion involved. Yeah. Um, so I started with a, f- a, a newfound friendship finance in Mark. Yep. And then we went to Mark's family finance. And then we went to my family finance. Now, Mark's stepdad was more commercially aware than me and my parents. Yep. So Mark's stepdad invested in Mark because he had money to invest. He was quite commercially aware. He saw what we were doing and he yep. thought what we were doing was good. But we gave him a charge. So that, again, sense. you know, because some people, when they borrow money from family, they're just like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just do it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I borrow money from a family like it's from a bank. Okay. You know, so what a bank would ask for, if, if my family want it, I'll give it to them. Okay, they don't, they're not after proof of um, income over a certain amount of time, whatever, but they get a charge yep. um, and, and you do it properly. Um, but family finance is often quicker to get you started. And it, it probably, if you value family over a bank, probably makes you more committed to get the deal done. And if things go wrong, it's probably not going to be catastrophic. Yeah. Whereas if you borrow a billion pound from a commercial lender and you, and you break some of your covenants, that could oh, be catastrophic. Going to come after you yeah. for everything you're worth. Yeah. So how, how did you approach... So you mentioned your family obviously weren't as commercially aware as, as Mark stepped there. So how did you approach your family for the finance? Okay, so... I'm, I'm pretty good at approaching other people to convince them of something. Okay. But I wasn't good at doing it to my family. But here's how it happened. Um, and like, Mark will probably kill me for saying this, but I'm just going to say <laughs> right, it anyway. Okay. But he's on holiday anyway. Oh, that's fine. So, um, like, I was just getting to know Mark. I was really fascinated by him as a person because he's very different to me. He's very technical, analytical, quite, quite a genius in a lot of ways. Um, and we were getting to know each other quite well socially and in, in business. We're working in the same company. And I started to get this impression, this guy's done some stuff. He's very successful. He's been a yep. business owner since he's like 15. Because Mark doesn't tell you stuff at first. It takes you no. a long time to get information out of him and to trust him. Conversely, when you get information out of him and you trust, he trusts you, you've got that for life unless yep. you fuck it up. Um, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I just did. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's not much I can say at this point. If you need it beeping out, you can, we can have it beeping out. And then Mark got really pissed one night. On, under my influence, buying daiquiris, he got really pissed. And he told me in the strategic riddle, I have got enough money to buy X houses outright in cash. Um, and I was like, holy shit, he's got all this money. And I didn't even know. He'd kept it from me, but he got really pissed when he told me. Because the next day he wakes up with a hangover regretting that, and I'm not right, let's go shopping. Um, and it didn't take us long to do a deal together to yep. use his money to buy property. 
And then I said to him, because he, we got maybe nine months down the line, we were, we were probably doing a dozen deals. And Mark was like, we are not buying any more property. All my money's gone, which never means all his money's gone. No. But he said to me, all my money's gone. That's it. I'm hating it. We've got so many deals going through. With no more money from me. I said, fine, what about your stepdad? And I found it pretty easy to go through Mark to his stepdad. And his stepdad had shown an interest anyway. Um, and so I went through Mark to his stepdad. Yep. And, and, you know, I was probably involved a bit. Um, but then when it came to my family, I didn't want to ask my family for money. And it wasn't that it was wrong to ask them for money and write for Mark. It's just my whole life I'd lived off my family. Yeah. They put me through school, they put me through university. I lived in the pub, I worked in the pub. And my whole life I'd lived off my family. I didn't want to live off them. I wanted to do, go and do my own thing. So raising money through Mark, well, not raising money because they had the money. You had joint a, ventures. You had a disconnect almost yeah. to him in that sense. You could go to him. Exactly. And, he yeah. and I hadn't relied on him my whole life for money. I had my, my family. So yeah. what's interesting about this is what's your relationship with your family? Yeah. Um, so I felt much more comfortable doing it with someone that uh, wasn't family. But then I didn't even think about asking money for family. But I'd been asking my mum and dad for money for 20 years. And I wanted to stop that. And that's why I got out of the pub and that's why I became an artist and that's why I got into property because yep. I wanted to be financially stable on, on my own. Um, and then Mark, once we'd borrowed his money, his stepdad's money and his mum's money, and that was all out because you know yep. what it's like in property. Your money's all out. Oh, it can take forever to come back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was like, what about your mum and dad? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And simultaneously around that sort of time, my mum sat me down and went, why haven't you got us involved in these ventures? Catherine and William are involved, Mark's parents. Yep. Why haven't you got us involved? And it was weird because I thought, well, I've been asking you for money for 20 years. I, I didn't think you'd want me to ask you for money. Um, and, and, and actually, I was wrong about it. And they, when they see you doing it, they want a piece of it. Yeah. So basically, I kind of pitched Mark. Mark's stepdad and his mum saw us doing it. And then it was pretty easy. Like this, this whole building we're in was financed by Mark's stepdad. So... Um, this is about a million quid now, but it was about 500 grand when we bought it. It's 6,000 square feet. Um, and it was, it was, we bought it cash with Mark's stepdad's money. So paid 495 grand for it. He got first charge. Uh, and and we, we put a, a, a loan on it about nine months after. We paid him 1%. So we paid him, what, 9 or 10% on his money. Um, he's really happy. He got 10% on his money. Yeah. And we, we've owned this ever since. Yeah. Um, so it's a real win-win. Um, and then my mum and dad pretty much came to me and said, hey, we'd like a bit of that. So you either pitch people or you don't pitch people, but you show the value yep. or you go and do what you do well and then they'll come to you. Important point on your family, because I think this is an important point for, for a lot of people. Um, and I've felt it myself a bit at times is you're not always going to have parents like Mark's and definitely not going to have parents uh, like yours. So what, a lot of people I think will agree with in Progressive and, and people listening to this podcast is sometimes you do get quite a negative uh, feedback from your own family. So, oh, Which I've had, by the way. Okay, yeah. which is important. So on that, how would you advise people to deal with, especially for it, because I, I find I would much rather have negative from other people within the community or whatever. I've never had it, luckily, but if, if I did, I'd rather have it from them than my own family. So how would you deal with the negatives from your own family and overcome that in order to push through and take it to the, the next step? Okay, so uh, I think it depends who it is. Yep. You know, is it immediate family? I think let's talk about immediate family because I think that's, that's where a lot of people feel yeah. a lot of negative okay. to begin with. But then, then let's touch on maybe a bit further out. 
Right, so there's no right or wrong answer in this. So no, I'm going to give you some things to consider. Mm. So if you're getting extreme negativity from very close family members, um, you can't divorce your parents, but you can divorce a husband or a wife. Um, so if it's parents, you either try and show them by getting results yep. and hope that they'll come round, or you just have to limit the negativity you get by seeing them at specific times and thinking, I'll talk about X and Y, but I'm not talking about property or business. And, and, and almost just keep that kind of conversation to a minimum. Yep. Um, I don't like giving advice in this area, so I like talking through scenarios. Yeah. So I was with a girlfriend before my wife and she was quite negative towards the world I was moving into because she'd seen me in my old world. Okay. So she probably thought, oh, who does Rob think he is? Doing yep. all this personal development, evangelising, preaching. Because sometimes we accidentally preach to people, don't yep. we? Oh, I've just learned this stuff. Oh, I've just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Look at me. I know everything about property. <laughs> and I was probably a bit like that. But it got so much. It affected me so much. I knew it was holding me back. And it wasn't just that. It was other things. But we moved away. And that was right. And my wife, who I've been with now for 12 years... She didn't see me in the old world. She saw me at the start of the new world. So she, so she was along for the ride. So she was yep. more supportive. So, but sometimes people are negative to you because you don't realise it, but you're causing it because okay. you're just being a bit of a twat. <laughs> you're overly preaching. You know, you're telling everyone that they shouldn't buy liabilities. They should buy assets. You're spouting all of this stuff. So I think you've got to understand what is the level. Yep. Also, some people, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't really like it when people say, Oh, fuck the haters, you know, all oh, the trolls, all the trolls. Because often it's feedback. Yep. And sometimes criticism is valid. Definitely. And sometimes when your parents or your wife or your brother or your sister or even your kids say, hmm, should you be doing that, should you be doing that? They're saying that yep. because they care. So I think you've got to work out, is it criticism? Is it challenge? Because they're both good. Yeah. Or is it bitterness, jealousy, envy, and really, it is really holding you back? And you've yeah. got to work out what that is first. I'm a big fan of being around people who lift me up. Yeah. But there's this naive assumption that it's positivity that lifts you up. Positivity lifts you up when you're being overly negative. But yeah. what also lift, lifts you up is um, smart people who will challenge you. Yeah. People who are very different to you, like Mark, who's very different to me. Um, people who are specialists and, and, and technical in the areas that you're not, because that can lift you up financially, getting good tax advice, having a good broker like yourself. You know, so your network is not just full of yes people, are oh, people who make your ego feel good or support you. And a lot of people are a bit naive about that. But what you want to get out of your life is hate unnecessarily, people who hold you back because of their own insecurities, people who don't want you to win, people who want you to lose, or, or people who need to pull you down to make themselves feel better. They're yeah. the people in the scenarios you need to get rid of. Yeah, definitely. And if that's your family, then you, you need to manage that. But often it's not. And I know in my early days, I created a bit of that inadvertently by just being overly preachy. Okay. So 
let's assume at this point, as an investor developer, you've been through your family, you're now starting to move into the private people. And I, I'm very aware that we're very focused today on raising private finance because obviously, like I said, the, the debt side probably isn't you can the right topic. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so with the private finance side of things, so let's say you've been through all your family, you're now getting into the point where maybe you've got a bit of a track record. How would you personally take it? And, and for people who have done one or two deals, maybe with family money, how would you advise them to then take it to the next level in terms of branding? Because for me, I mean, I've noticed in the last year since we've taken on a new brand, it's been ridiculous. Uh, the brand we had last year it didn't work. Change the branding and then all of a sudden we've 10 times the turnover that we were doing. So what would you advise people in terms of branding in order to push themselves to that next level? Mm. And then we'll come back to newbies as well and, and the branding for because I think it's two very different sets of branding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark would probably have a different view on this. Yep. So Mark would probably want the view of a relatively high brow, very professional brand, which to some could come across a little bit, what'd be the word? Conceited is not the word. Elitist is not quite the word. But Mark would want that high quality branding. Yep. Um, but it can be a bit standoffish and distant and not warm and trusting. Which is why we moved down this route, to get away from the corporate yeah, branding. Interesting. So that's interesting, and that worked yeah. for you. So I definitely think it's horses for courses. Yeah. But if you're you know, borrowing from you know, big institutions versus yep. family, it's completely different. So I think, is your, I think you either want to create a brand which is trust, or a brand which is professional. And I think they're the two main areas you start from in, in building a brand. But I didn't really build a brand specifically to raise finance. I built a brand to get myself known. Yep. And so we went a bit more for a more innovative approach. Yep. So when Mark and I started in the property training space, Everyone wore grey suits with white shirts and their trousers were too short. And I'm sure they were all from Marks and Spencers, like everyone. And they're all about 50. Nothing wrong with any of that. If that's how you roll, I respect you. But how could we disrupt? How could we get attention? Yep. How could we get noticed and, and grow more quickly and get talked about a lot more? So people started to call us the, the wankers in stripy shirts. Now, of course, that wasn't what I wanted to brand myself. But, you know, we wore stripy shirts, pretty tight-fitting Italian suits. We were younger. I was a little bit more disruptive, mouthy, out there. And we were good at getting attention. Yeah. Now, that's not necessarily good for getting institutional finance. It's very good for getting attention and getting known and getting out there. Um, so progressive branding is still relatively fresh. It's not corporate. It's, I don't know if you can see it in any of these cameras, but it's blue and orange. So it's it is quite a fresh brand. Yeah. But really, people don't lend to us because of that. Yeah. People lend to us because, like you said, A, track record. Yeah. B, do I trust these guys? And C, are they professional? Can they do the job? Yeah. So I try and build trust in the marketplace. And Mark and I do that in a different way. I do that by being open, share a lot, sometimes yep. share a bit much. 
Mark does that. Yeah, yeah. You, won't, you didn't I'm deny that. I'm thinking of your lives in the bath. Yeah. <laughs> Mark does it by being a bit more standoffish, but yep. professional and clean. And, and so there's different ways of doing it. I just think you want to know what your values are. So yep. progressive, it's progressive, innovative, personal. Um, and you just want to be consistent with that. Okay. Yeah. So we've covered when everything goes right. So I just want to touch on when everything starts to go wrong, because inevitably with all of this, at some point something is going to go wrong. Yeah. So obviously we've spoken about JVs. Uh, I, I'm sure you've got into JVs. You maybe wish you hadn't. Um, I know I've certainly got into JVs. <laughs> I definitely wish I hadn't. Uh, but we grow out the back of them and they, they all make us what we are today, don't they? So from, and, and this is more specifically for, for people who are in the progressive uh, group at the moment, how would you deal with a JV that starts to go sour? Um, and what I mean from that is, how would you deal with both the internal uh, and, and private dealing of that? And also, how would you deal with the public dealing of it? Because I know we've seen things on Facebook and whatnot where people have had bad JVs and they're mouthing off about each other all yeah. over Facebook. And, but how would you deal with that from both an internal and an external okay. viewpoint? So Mark and I have not had a JV, a financial JV and a property deal that's gone wrong. Now, I don't say that as a brag. You could almost say that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I've certainly had JVs that didn't last in, with trainers yeah. and, and, you know, and, and, the, and a partner or two. But when it comes to property JVs, we've not had one that's gone wrong. But we've seen thousands. <laughs> yeah. So this experience is more vicarious through the mistakes of others. Okay. Now, by the way, some of our JVs could have gone wrong and maybe we're going that way, but maybe we dealt with them okay or maybe we didn't take ridiculous risks or whatever. So there's a lot to this. So I'll try and sort of be succinct but list a lot. Yep. The first thing is, it's, it's what you agree before. Yeah. So, you, you know, Mark and I, when we did JVs with our family, they get first charge. And we pay him 1% a month. And if it goes over time, X penalty occurs. Yep. Um, and it, we kept it pretty simple because JVs, as you know, can get really complicated. Yes. Um, but we didn't underpay and we didn't overpay. I know okay. people who are borrowing. They, they say, oh, I'm borrowing at 15% a year from a bridger. And when you look at it, it's not. It's 3% a month. And they oh, don't. It's entrance fees, exit fees. So Penalty they get fees, yeah, valuation exactly. Fees, they yeah, get the yeah. amount wrong. Yep. They pay too much. Um, so I think it's clear expectations up front. Yep. Now, the more technical a JV is, the more you have to go through the heads of terms. Yep. Um, and, and the more you have to um, figure out what you do when it goes wrong. Yep. So a lot of people don't talk about what you do when it goes wrong. And, and usually in property, it is late interest, lower valuation, that kind of stuff, yep. on simple deals anyway. So, A, clear expectations up front. B, borrowing from the right people. Because n not all money comes with the same cost. Yep. And a lot of the cost people see is the financial cost. Yeah. But if money comes from people who are overly controlling, if money comes from people who are unrealistic with their expectations, if money comes, you know, even even for, through illicit means, that money has a cost way more than yeah. the interest. So Mark and I are careful 
we borrow from family, yep. we borrow from each other, and we borrow from a small number of partners who we trust. So what Mark does is he watches people for quite a while before he goes into a JV. Okay. Now, he watched me for three months, and that's probably a record short amount of time for Mark. But Mark will watch someone for a year or two, because if you say to someone, let's talk about a JV, you're going to put your best suit on, you're going to give them your best salesman mode or saleswoman oh, yeah. mode, Definitely. you're only going to show them good side. But if I watch you from a distance on how you deal in a JV, in a JV with someone else, I get to see how you're really going to behave. Yeah, yeah. And this is what Mark is bloody good at. He's good at cutting through all the bravado. Look, and, and, and often it's not salesmanship. We're, we're all going to put our best foot forward yeah. when we're trying to raise money. So that's important. Communication is so important. And some people, they just bury their head in the sand and it's obvious and they don't have the courage to pick up the phone and say, hey, look, it's going to be late. Yep. Or hey, look, things are going over time. Now, most partners, not all, and definitely not big banks, but most partners are going to be relatively forgiving for a certain amount of time because they know that commercially it's really hard to yep. exit a JV. You know, if you, actu if you actually have to go through taking the property back and a repossession yep. and you have to get lawyers involved, it costs loads of money and it takes ages. So most people aren't going to want to do that. So they might be open to a slight change of terms or they might be open to, you know, just giving you a bit of time. Yep. So communication is really important. The next thing is managing your emotions. Yep. So the amount, like you said, the amount of people who blur on Facebook. If you ever see anyone bitching about a JV partner on Facebook, you can probably be guaranteed that they are 50% in the wrong. And they're saying, oh, no, it's all them. They're 100% in the wrong. But yep. it takes two to tango. And often people who bitch about something that happened in a JV, well, they had a broken one a year ago, a broken one a year ago, and a broken one a year ago. Yeah. So I think how you communicate um, and how you manage your emotions, i.e. you're respectful, you're reasonable, you're clear, um, you listen, you, you're proactive in your communication, I think that that's really important. And of course, there's going to come a time in a certain JV where there's going to be breakage, that gets to the point where it's legal, which is probably a, a different discussion. I think it's important to be a private and not public about the, the goings on. Um, but there comes a time when you've probably got to get legal advice. Okay. So just coming back to that publicly, would you advise people then if they're going to put things on Facebook to maybe second guess that and maybe avoid making things public for their own image, I guess, more than anything? Yeah, now, um, Facebook and what you say publicly, that's a, a really difficult thing because th there's an upside and a downside to anything you put out there. Yeah. So if you go and brag about a really good deal that you've done, some people will love it and yep. some people will go, well, you're bragging, you know, or you're just trying to sort of covertly pitch. If you go and share a vulnerable post about all your mistakes, some people go, oh, I really like you being honest. And other people go, oh, well, that was yeah. a shit deal. I'm not doing any, any, yeah. any deals with you. So... It's kind of like if you ever put stuff out into the wider marketplace online, you've got to understand what the upside and the downside of that is. Yeah. And some people do it just because they want support because they feel shit. That's the upside. Yeah. The downside is you could get yourself in. There could be defamation there. You don't know. That could be, make it difficult for you in negotiations. I mean, that's a, a, you know, like a whole a wormhole of wh wh oh, where, we, where we could yeah. go down. I think... 
it is wise not to write anything that if it went in a national newspaper, you'd wish you hadn't written. And that's probably the metric for you to think, okay, if I'm not going to let that be printed in a national newspaper, I probably shouldn't print that on social media. Yeah. And I operate under the same, to be fair. Mine, mine is slightly different. I won't post anything unless I'm happy for a judge to see it. There you go. That's Which a good way of looking at So your, your question, if someone... It is probably wise in those sensitive situations to write it and let someone else check it. Either a lawyer or a friend who's got a more technical eye. And it's definitely wise not to write anything when you're emotionally charged. Yeah. Now, none of us are perfect, though. And I know, if I think back over the last 12 years... There must be a few times when I've broken that rule, but you could say I do that much less if at all now because I've experienced it. Yeah. But, you know, even t just a few days ago, I put a post up talking about tattoos in business and if people judge. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it, it was a, a, the reason I did it was because two people who've got a lot of tattoos were asking me and wanted to know answers. I didn't know the answers, so I did a poll in the community. Um, one guy is a... Um, is one of our main trainers in e-commerce, covered yep. in them. And I created a debate and someone asked for a refund because they believed that I judge people who have tattoos and they wanted to do one of our courses and they have tattoos. So <laughs> you get to the point where it's like, well, can I actually say anything? Yeah. So Perception. And yeah. And I'm not a wallflower and I'm not one that shies away from that stuff. So I'm probably going to err on the side of being a bit more risky. And Mark's probably going to err on the side of being a bit more cautious. Yeah. Mark, Mark's default is to say nothing. My default is to do something and fix it. And, you know, sometimes you don't know the right answer until it's happened. Okay. But I, I think, as a general rule, it's going out and overly criticising. It's not, not smart. Going out and writing anything that could damage someone else's business. Yeah. That is not smart, even at all their reputation, even if you think they're screwing you over. Now, the, the thing is with people screwing you over is, like, someone who's not involved in a deal can go, well, it's probably 50-50. Yeah. Six of one, half dozen the other. Oh, no, 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 they're screwing me over. But if you see it from the other side, then it probably gives you a bit more balance. Okay, so we're rapidly approaching the end, I think. Um, so just a couple of last questions, if that's I've right. I've got 15 minutes, so you're good. Okay, I reckon we might be all right for... I'll go for three more questions. <laughs> okay, this might be risky. So the first one I want to ask is for people who are looking at raising private finance. This is probably going to be the last question. This tastes like fairy liquid, by the way. So they've clearly gone and washed it with washing <laughs> up liquid. <laughs> but it's progressive branded. And have you noticed our stance on plastics? We used to just do disposable bottles and now we do these. So we are making a difference to the environment. You are making a difference. Hashtag just saying. Oh, look <laughs> at Rob using <laughs> sustainable as a way to cash in on business. Anyway, sorry, go on, Mike. <laughs> you forgot what you were going to say, <laughs> hadn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Think <laughs> about social media. You said you got three more questions. Why don't you pick one of your... I'm bothered. I'm very impressed fair, you do you've all this blown, memory. You've blown all you three questions You don't have questions any questions. Away. No, I just make them up. It's oh, right. you, to be fair. I yeah. knew that I'd come up with some. Um, yeah. That was it, social media. Yeah. Um, so for anyone in the progressive community who is getting into a more... They're now starting to get a bit more active about raising finance. In your opinion, which platform out of 
LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Personally, would you go for, if you had to start again, which one would you go for as your main avenue of trying all to raise pro finance? All of them. Whenever, I, when everyone asks me, what should you do, A or B, my default is always, well, why can't you do A and B? Because... Are you going to give me some false I'm going to give you some now? false you have to choose. There is a gun to your head and you're only allowed to choose one. LinkedIn. Why? Because... Uh, the gun is still to your head, so you've still got to tell me why. All right, because LinkedIn does not restrict your reach. Can I... Can you put two guns to my head and can I have two? Yeah. Yeah, go on, you can have two, Link- as is you. LinkedIn and Progressive Property Community. But... Obviously, that's my company, so which I take the five. Which away. isn't a social so media platform. LinkedIn and property Facebook groups. Okay. Or, yeah, I'd say those two. So the upside of property Facebook groups is there are tens of thousands of active property investors, and I'd, at least 10% of them, maybe more, are people who would invest money. Yep. And people always think there's no one in the room or in the group that will invest money. It's only people who want the money, but that's just because they're seeing the world through their own filters. Um, I would even argue that it's probably up to 20%. And there are JVs done every day. There's been thousands of JVs done in the progressive community. I know it. So um, property-related Facebook groups, progressing pro- progressive property probably being the, the biggest and the most active, certainly in volume of posts every day and interaction, is the biggest in the UK. That's a, a good win because there's 26,000 property investors and um, sort of hands-free remote investors all yep. in one group. LinkedIn, though, and... Um, if you have one follower on LinkedIn, you can still get a million views on a video or a yep. post because LinkedIn will push your content beyond your connections. Whereas if a post goes in a Facebook group, people who aren't in the Facebook group can't, can't see, see it. it. Yeah. So they're the two I'd, I'd focus on. Sorry, I cheated on your question, but they're the two. It's fine. You also managed to bring in that you're sustainable on plastics. Yeah, and I question. own this building so and, and I own all these cameras. So I can and you've written 15 books. Yeah. Um. <laughs> We're both supporting waistcoats today. It's impressive. But if I was going to wager... <laughs> You're regretting this, aren't you? Yep. Look at me and my professional property finance podcast <laughs> with this guy who's clearly had too much coffee. It's all right. I was the same. Um, mm-hmm. But you've wound me down a bit, so it's fine. Um, so two questions left. Yeah. I'm going to see if we can get through these two yeah. sensibly. <laughs> <laughs> so this question you've been asked a million and one times, I know. What comes first, the cash or the deal? Uh, simultaneously. So again, the answer isn't A I'm going to put a gun to your head again. Yeah, you can in a minute, and I'll answer how <laughs> I want. Um, I'll put the gun in your <laughs> face, and then you can put it back on mine. So if you find a deal and you haven't got any money, you could lose that deal and lose the credibility with the contacts who've sourced the deal, yep. like the agent. If you have money and no deal, you could lose credibility with your finances, private investors, etc. So you have to, to a certain degree run them simultaneously. But if you have money, it could motivate you to go find a deal because money's on the table. But also, if you have a deal, it could motivate you to go and find money because a deal is on the table. So now, take the gun away, put the gun back. Which one first? I'm going to second guess human nature and I'm going to say money first. Which is what I would say as well. Because... Like, I don't actually believe that that's the answer. Mm. I believe the answer is what I've said oh, yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. Do both. But human nature, I think, is that a lot of people are worried about or won't do or won't really hunt out a deal if they haven't got the money. Yeah. 
So get the money on the table and then the motivation is there. Yeah. I'd say now, the motivation from the money side, I find, is heavier than the motivation from the deal side. I think that depends on the person. Because if you're a person that doesn't want to let people down and doesn't want to lose face, which I am to a certain yeah, degree yeah. that person, if I've got an agent who's like, you better get this deal through, yeah. that is going to motivate me hard to go and get the money. So a lot of it is to who you are. Yeah. But based on what thousands of people have said to me in the community and people's fears and doubts and everything else, I'd say once the money is on the table, people will step up going and doing the deal sourcing. And the excuses are gone. Yeah, Because yeah. a lot of people's excuse for not doing deals is why I've no got money. the money. Yeah. So if the deal, the money's there, well, there's no excuses anymore. Yeah, and all I find the motivation comes because I'm a cheapskate and I don't like spending money. Comes from if I'm paying interest on yeah, that's money. True. Yeah. All of a sudden it's, well, hang on, I've, yeah. I've got to pay this back. Well, you don't have to be a cheapskate for that. If you borrow six figures plus, we just have to be worried of the cheap. interest payment, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, doing what I do, I've seen a lot of people not pay back interest yeah. on time. Yeah. Um, right, last one, and it's a biggie. Well, it's not really. It's what are your biggest tips for everyone who's watching at the minute for raising private finance? If you had three tips, the fact you've looked at your watch tells me that we're not going to have time to get no, through all your biggest tips. No, what it tells me is, tips. do I answer them quickly or deep? How long have I got? Yeah, go on. So, so what are your biggest tips on raising finance? Yeah, to finish off, what are your biggest tips for raising private finance. Okay, so understanding what makes you investable, I think is the biggest tip. Yep. Um, so in my podcast journey, my podcast, A Disruptive Entrepreneur, I endeavoured to make sure I interviewed people who have raised a lot of money or yep. invest a lot of money. I've, I've, I've interviewed three of the dragons and I've interviewed people like the, the founder of Angel's Den, etc. Yep. Um, because one, you can use that as a resource. But two, when you talk to enough people who've borrowed money and lent money, you actually find the common denominators of what makes you investable. Yep. And I think what people think makes them investable is not the reality. So what is it that most people think makes someone investable? Track record. Yep. But every master was once a disaster and every winner was once a beginner. And if you haven't got track record, you haven't got track record. And you can't get track record until you've got it. So you're stuck. And people get stuck there. And that's a paradox. So you have to go out and do some deals to get a track record. Yep. So how do you get deals without a track record? So these are the common elements of someone who's investable, from me talking to 100 millionaires, billionaires, dragons, etc. So one is clarity of pitch or offer or deal. Yep. You know, so what are the numbers? What's the proposal? You know, what's the return? Clarity. Because a lot of people go, oh, well, I'll kind of maybe put it into this, or I might put it into that, or um, I'll lend, you know, lend me the money and I'll do something bespoke yep. for you. Whatever. No. What's the clear offer? So that's one. Two is a compelling pitch, which means concise, memorable, not overly complicated. The third thing is trust. Yep. Do they trust you? Whether it's trust because they trust you or trust because they've got a charge on you and they've got some kind of financial instrument which protects their downside. Um, the next one is, do they like you and believe you? Yep. So the wor one of the worst pitches in history in Dragon's Den was Levi Roots. And people forget that. People think it was one of the best. Comes in, playing his guitar, charm, everything else. Completely cocked his picture. But Peter Jones liked him, believed in him, thought there's something about this guy. He's marketable, he's interesting. He's charismatic. Now, I'm not saying marketable, interesting, charismatic are traits you need to borrow money for property deals, but the like and the believability, that's also really important. 
And um, I, I'm going to add some of mine. So I want to know when things go wrong, people will fix it. Yep. So there are some people when things go wrong, they run away, they bail, they put their head in the sand, they go and start something new, they close their entity down, they go into a new one. I don't yep. want to do JVs with those people. No. I, I actually want to know when the going gets tough, they actually step up. Yeah. So I'm looking for a problem solver. I, I have quite a lot of people that come to me and say, Rob, I'm, I'm looking at doing JVs, or I've just got some money and I'm really scared, I'm worried. You know, what if I mess it up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, good. Yeah. I want you to have some fear if you're borrowing my money. Because that means you're going to be careful, diligent. If things go wrong, you're going to fix it. Yeah. And I want that. So I want a solution-focused person. I want someone who steps up when things go wrong. I want someone who is loyal and committed to the long term. Yeah. Now, I don't expect people to be loyal to me and my money. But you know, we, you, we rarely hire people in Progressive if they've had a job every two years. Because what does that tell me they're going to do next time? In Have two a job years, in two they're going to leave. Yeah. So I don't need to know that you've borrowed loads of money. I mean, that'll help. If you borrowed money, paid it back, borrowed money, paid yeah. it back, borrowed money, paid it back, that'll help. But I want to know, are you a long-term player or a short-term player? You know, are, do you see the best in people or the worst in people? Um, your, your work ethic. At the end of the day, if someone thinks you're a, uh, you know, to use the Americanism, if you're a hustler, if you'll go above and beyond, if you'll do what has to be done, if you'll just put yourself out there, and put in the hours, you're usually going to get the deal over the line. Because I think people perceive, oh, I've got this great deal, the numbers are great. Um, well, that's like the honeymoon period in a marriage. Yeah. Uh, and every deal goes through some problems and challenges, and that has this reality check. And I want to know how they're going to handle that, yep. rather than just the, you know, the upside benefit. So, you know, when I said believable, I want to see some truth. I don't want to see all everything all pumped up. I deleted yep. a post in the progressive community today because it said, yeah, I do £1,500 net per month per property. I didn't believe it. I mean, it broke some other rules, but I thought, don't believe it, I'm sorry. So, gone. So, you know, believabilities yeah. is huge. You know, why do you... Certain films and actors and actresses that you love, why do you love it? Because their character is so believable. So, you know, people say, I don't think trust and believability are necessarily the same thing. You know, I, I, I can trust you, but not necessarily believe what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important. Now, of course, everyone's got their own criteria. Yeah. So some people will say, deal. If it's a good deal, I'll do it. Some people will say, security. Yeah. So Mark, Mark wants security first. Yeah. He, I, he doesn't even want to see the deal. He wants to know, what's, what's the security? Charge, fine. Restriction, not good enough. Unilateral notice, definitely not good enough. You know, like, contract, not good enough if I haven't got a charge. Yep. So that's Mark's first criteria. Other people's criteria, the deal. I'm hunting the deal. I'm hunting the return. Yep. Other people's criteria is I'm investing in you. And actually, the most common thing that people invest in is across all Dragon's Den. It's across many business investments. I'm investing in you. Yep. The founder, the business owner, your owner, your vision, your passion, your hunger, your drive, you, your story. So all of those things make someone investable, and I did it before 3.30. Smashed it. Are we allowed to do a fist bump, or is that too Let's much? fist bump. All right. Cool. We... No. No, not that no. bad. Right. No. <laughs> How, you're in your 20s, aren't you? How old are you? 25. 25. Well, that's the difference between us. 25-year-olds do that. Try la 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 12-year-olds do that. 40-year-olds uh, <laughs> do Thank this. you very much. Yeah. 
Can I um, do a shout out to my podcast, to your guys? Of course you can. Yeah, so it's called The Disruptive Entrepreneur, uh, and you can find it everywhere, pretty much. iTunes, Stitcher, <laughs> Podbean. Are you going to shout out your second podcast? Shopify. Shopify, Spotify. Um, yeah, Money, my podcast Money, that's my cult podcast. A lot of people like that more than my main podcast, but they don't know it exists. Yeah. So it's called Money. Um, and yeah, so everyone in the community, thanks for tuning in. Um, joint ventures are possible. You don't need your own money to do deals. I have, n- I, for five or six years, I never put any of my own money to deals. When I put my own money to deals, it was made by money in deals where I didn't put my own money in. Yeah. So some people said, I oh, know money down, can't do it. I would argue, well, you don't know how. So when someone says you can't do no money down deals, they mean they don't know how or they don't want you to do it. Because, well, but every deal has costs, solicitors, fees, etc. Yeah, but yeah. you can make that be paid out of the deal. Or you can put it on a credit card. Or you can borrow that element of someone else. Yeah. Now, that's not always the best way or the right way, but it's possible. And I think you've just got to get your head around the fact that it's possible to do joint ventures, no money down. And look, we, if we want to be technical, that's a joint venture, that's a loan, that's no money left in, you know, that's no money down, fine. We can get technical. Yeah. But the reality is you can borrow other people's money to start businesses, to buy properties, to buy portfolios, to scale up. It's possible. Brilliant. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot.